Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. Good morning, Westside. Good to see you guys. Um, so yeah, as uh, Dave mentioned, this is my first time um, speaking, and so I'm definitely a little nervous, but also really excited for what God has put on my heart to share with you guys, and yeah, the way that he's been speaking to me through the passage, which I'm going to share with you all. And so, yeah, so when Dave asked me to preach um, on a story in the Old Testament, my first thought was to look for sort of a low-key story, um, one that you don't hear from uh, much often. And I found some very interesting and obscure ones, such as Shamgar. He's one of the judges in the Old Testament, but he only gets one, one verse. So I'm like, okay, I, could probably, I should probably not take Shamgar because it'll be a pretty short sermon. Um, and then there are other uh, characters like Jabez. Jabez, growing up, I saw the book called the, the, the Prayer of Jabez, Everywhere, everywhere I went, especially growing up in a Christian family, that book was everywhere, every Christian bookstore. But I never knew who, who Jabez was. And until this past week, I didn't even know if it was a man or a woman or what, who Jabez was. Um, so there was Jabez, there was Shamgar, and there were other characters um, in the Old Testament that I was thinking through, um, potentially being able to preach on. And, and then there were other in my searches, there were other things that I found on the internet, some that were really weird um, and interesting, especially looking up obscure or uh, low-key stories in the Old Testament. A lot of them were not really fact-checked, and so I would definitely not recommend uh, you guys looking up obscure Bible stories um, <laughs> on the internet. But eventually, eventually, as I was reflecting on the theme of loving God, and loving neighbor that David, David commissioned us into at the start of the summer, I started thinking about the reverse question. What does it look like to fail to love God? And what does it look like to fail to love our neighbors? Because I think we can learn so much about something by understanding it through its opposite. And so, and so then I thought, what is a story in the Old Testament that isn't often talked about and shows humans failing to love God and others over and over again. It was not hard to look. I mean, the whole Old Testament is <laughs> literally that. But then I felt led towards the story of Cain and Abel. It's one of those stories that, as Christians, or even non-Christians, you hear, uh, you've heard about, but we don't always hear it on a Sunday morning. I personally love the story because it shows us clearly what it is that stops us from loving God and loving others well. And that thing is sin. And yet, even in the midst of our failings, it also shows how much God's patience and kindness fights to protect us from sin and all its devastating effects. And so I want to share that with you guys this morning. And I'm just going to write, jump right into the story. Um, and the, the title of my message this morning is The Nature of Sin and the Goodness of God Through It. So we're going to read through Genesis 4, uh, 1 to 16. I'm just going to read through it, and then we will get right into it. So now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. 
And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of, of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his brother. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who find him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to start head into it. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this morning. Lord, this is the day that you have made, Father. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. God, thank you for everyone who is here this morning. God, and thank you for this opportunity that you have given me to share. Lord, I pray that through every word that is spoken, Father, may, may we be encouraged, Lord. May we be blessed by your word. Lord, lead, lead us by your spirit. Lead me by your spirit. And Father, teach us what it is that you want to teach us. Encourage us, convict us, do whatever you want to do, Lord. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So... Yeah, the story that we just, we just read, Cain and Abel, um, just to give a, a brief summary, it follows a very straightforward narrative structure. And so we see in the introduction, there's Adam and Eve, and then um, tension rises when God accepts the gift of Abel. Sorry, I said Adam and Eve. I meant Cain and Abel. <laughs> and so there's, there's Cain and Abel, and then tension rises when um, God accepts Abel's offering, but rejects Cain's offering. And so then there comes the climax when God um, encourages Abel to, um, Cain to choose well and to not let sin have control over him. And then we see the falling action of, Abel, of Cain making the decision to then kill his brother, letting sin control him. And so it's interesting, we see in the story the main characters, that is uh, Cain and Abel, and Adam and Eve at the start. But then there's a new character that is introduced, and this, this character is called Sin. And it's sort of like lurking in the background, but it's part of the climax. His position, his position in the story is, seems to be important, but we hadn't really heard about it before. And so I think as we look at the passage, it'll be helpful for us to understand 
and lay out sort of like, what is the definition of sin from what the Bible talks about? One definition that I found helpful that I think will help us as we um, look at the passage is uh, Wayne Grudem's definition when he says that sin is the failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. And there are many different definitions of sin out there. I grew up um, in a Christian family. I grew up with the um, understanding that sin is missing the mark. I'm sure some of you guys have also heard that. And there's also the idea that sin is rebellion or rejection um, of God. And all of these fit within that same idea that God has sort of like this law um, and our inability to follow or to, to follow after him is sin. And so we see in, in the action um, in the Cain and Abel story for the first time, actually in the, in, in the story that precedes, in the story that precedes Cain and Abel, there's the Adam and Eve story. I'm sure all of us are familiar with the Adam and Eve story, but just to give a brief summary, God created Adam and Eve, brought them in the garden, and told them to eat of all of the trees, of, all of the trees in the garden, but of, of one tree he said not to eat. But unfortunately, when Adam and Eve disobeyed the command um, God gave them. And so in that story, we also see the three major consequences that their sin, their disobedience to God caused. The first one is their relationship with God as they were removed from his dwelling place, his presence um, in the garden in Genesis 3.23. And then the second one is their relationship with each other, as God declared that there would be tension between them as a married couple. And since marriage is the closest and most intimate relationship with another human being anyone can have, then it is fair to assume that if there's tension in that relationship, then every other relationship will have um, tension. And then there's the third major disruption, which is their relationship to the earth, when God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So we see these three major disruptions um, in human relationships that, that, that was caused by sin. God, each other, and the earth. And so then as we look at the story that we have this morning, we see an even deeper implication um, that the disruption in human relationships caused as we get the very first instance of one of the very worst things humans do to each other, that is, they murder one another. Unfortunately, the story of Cain and Abel that we find in the Bible is only the first instance of a page that is rewritten daily in the book of our human history. We hear it in the news, we see it in the world, it repeats itself constantly, and things don't change. So why? So why and how did Cain come to the point of wanting to kill his own brother? In the story, we only see the fact that God accepted the offering of one and rejected the other, and therefore Cain got angry. But surely it can't just be the fact that God rejected um, Cain's offering that led him to kill his brother. On the one hand, I think for those of us who have siblings or people we closely grew up with, we can definitely relate with the feeling of anger towards our siblings. Personally, I grew up as the second youngest of five children, so I know the feeling of being the one 
to annoy my, my siblings. <laughs> Especially having four sisters, I really did annoy them. Um, funny enough, last week, in our um, sibling group chat that we have, my oldest sister sent a TikTok video that pointed out the different ways in which younger brothers um, often annoy their older siblings. And it was no surprise my other sisters all added on to just, like, just bash on me, essentially. And I mean, I couldn't say anything because it was true. <laughs> and, so, and so on the one hand, there's that. And on the other hand, there's, there are also ways in which we may feel jealousy towards our siblings. One way this showed up in my family is, um, is the way my parents treated the youngest one in our family. So since my little sister came a little later than me and my um, three other sisters, my three older sisters, my parents had really changed a lot in their parenting. They had relaxed a lot. And so she got so many things we didn't get, and she was treated so differently. And so back then, that was definitely a sense of like, oh, that's, that's quite unfair. Why, why is she getting this treatment that we didn't get? And so I'm sure every eldest sibling here understands what it feels like. Um, <laughs> and, so, and so although the story we see um, does not, the story of Cain and Abel we see does not give us more detail, we can probably understand some of the frustrations Cain felt. But as we look closely, we can identify something else, that Cain's posture, heart posture, um, was not a healthy one before God. So why did Cain kill his brother? In John's letter in the New Testament, he gives us an answer when he warns, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. The text points out that Cain's action or deed was evil. And since it's not talking about the action of him killing his brother, since it's the question it's asking, it must be talking about the offering that he gave to God. And so then when we look um, closer at the text, it's interesting that it says that Cain brought only some of his crops to the Lord, while Abel brought the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. And the author of Hebrews 11.4 also confirms that Abel had a much more lo loving heart posture to God in his faith that he had towards God which is not on, on the screen, but it says, By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain. By faith he was commanded as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And so from this we see it is only by having faith in God that anyone is able to willingly sacrifice anything of great value or anything that is dearer to them, to God. And so whereas um, Abel gave God of his best, Cain only gave God of his rest, the rest of his crops, what was left. Abel gave the first fruit, the very best. Do we relate with Cain or do we relate with Abel? Do we give God our best in everything we do and everything we have? Or is God only an afterthought when our needs are satisfied? Or do we only go to him when we're desperate? God gave of his best to us. In fact, he, his one and only son, he gave to us. It only makes sense for us to respond in such a loving, to such a loving gift with the best of our gifts. Cain fails to do that here, and therefore he's rejected. 
So this brings another interesting question. If Abel had done nothing directly to antagonize his brother, other than give a better gift to the Lord, then why was Cain mad at him to the point of wanting to kill him? Unless, of course, Cain was not really mad at his brother, but in reality, he was mad at God, yet he took it out on his brother. We can especially see Cain's anger towards God in his uh, later response when God asked him, where is your brother? He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? So on the one hand, he lies. He says, I don't know. And on the other hand, he mocks God. Am I my brother's keeper? This is not out of the ordinary for us, for humans to do. How often do we get frustrated for not receiving something that another has? How often are we hurt when someone gets the recognition that we think we also deserve? How often are we frustrated by the ways our friends, siblings, spouses, kids act in ways that, honestly, if it was up to us, we'd we'd change them and correct the way they are in a heartbeat? We don't say it often because, honestly, it doesn't really sound very Christian, but very often we are actually frustrated at God. And the only way we sometimes feel we can let God know about our frustrations without explicitly telling him that we're mad at him is by lashing out on others. We are mad that God could give something we've probably also worked hard for to someone else and not to us. We get mad at God that others just don't seem to recognize the value of what we do. We're mad that God doesn't change our siblings, spouses, kids in the way that we would like him to, in the timing that we would like him to. And the list goes on and on. And so in the same way, Cain was angry at God for recognizing, for God recognizing Abel's gift while rejecting his own. Unfortunately, as we often see, unexpressed frustrations towards God will find their expression somewhere else, somewhere, and most often on others. This is what we see in the story, and this is what we see in our day-to-day. But even so, before Cain allowed his emotions and frustrations to lead him to kill his brother, he was faced with a very real choice on how to deal with his feelings, one that we're also faced with every day. And this choice is clearly shown in um, verse 7. And it's interesting, chapter 4, verse 7, and chapter 3, verse 6, the same group of words... That are, that are used in the struggle, that is used in the struggle between a husband and his wife in the previous chapter, because of sin, is used here to describe Cain's battle with sin, where it says in the previous chapter, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And then he, um, God tells Cain, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And so in the same way that a wife's desire may be to control her husband and a husband's desire may be to dominate over his wife, God tells Cain that sin is trying to control him and therefore commands him to dominate over it, to subdue it. And so sin tries to take advantage of our emotions, our desires, our disappointments, our expectations that have not been met, and more in order to control us in the actions that we do. One of the most introspective descriptions of our human fight against temptation and sin that I have found is um, in the the famous novel Jane Eyre. 
I personally have not read the novel, but I've come across, um, I've come across this passage in the, a section in the book that is so, I found so powerful so many times. And so just to give a brief context of the story, for those of you who, um, like me who have not read the book, um, Jane, the protagonist of the story, falls in love with Mr. Rochester, but learns that he is married to a mentally ill wife who lives in the upper room of his estate. Mr. Rochester, even so, tries to persuade her to live with him as his mistress, which causes Jane to fall into a deep conflict of emotion. So I'm going to read the words of the, that are right from the book, because I find that they're just powerful by themselves. And so, this is Jane speaking, and it's going to be up on the screen. While Mr. Rochester spoke, my very conscience and reason turned traitors against me. This is Mr. Rochester asking her to um, live with him. And charged me with crime in resisting him. They spoke almost as loud as feeling. Oh, comply, they said. Think of his misery. Look at his state when, he, when left alone. Soothe him. Save him, love him, tell him you love him and will be his. Who in the world cares for you? Or who will be injured by what you do? Jane, in that moment of temptation, can clearly identify her conscience, reason, and even her feelings working against her to cause her to make a choice that she knows to be wrong. She knows that to um, accept um, Mr. Rochester's advances would be wrong because he is a married man. After having experienced so much pain, and hardship in her own life, why would she resist a rich man like Mr. Rochester, who deeply loves her just as she does him? That is the battle she faces. That is the sin trying to control her. Yet her response gets me every time. And it'll be on the screen. I care for myself. I will keep the law given by God sanctioned by man. I will hold the principles received by me when I was sane and not mad as I am now. Laws and principles are not for times when there is no temptation. They are for such times as this, when the body and soul rise in mutiny against their rigor. If at my convenience I might break them, what would be their worth? They have a worth, so I have always believed. And if I cannot believe it, believe it now, it is because I am insane, quite insane. Preconceived opinions, foregone determinations are all I have at this hour to stand by. There, I plant my foot. When the idea of obeying God made no reasonable sense to her heart and her mind, she put her foot down. Remembering and cherishing God's word over everything else she felt, knowing that it's precisely in moments when temptation arises that we are to hold on more tightly, that she is to hold on more tightly to God's words. This is what it means to subdue or overcome sin and temptation. Unfortunately, instead of overcoming sin, Cain let sin control him to the point of going so far as killing his own brother. The Bible doesn't tell us how much time elapsed between the rejection of, of Cain's sacrifice, God rejecting Cain's sacrifice, 
end the murder. But for him to go so far as killing his brother probably means that quite some time elapsed where Cain failed to deal well with his anger and disappointment, and he let sin fester in his heart, controlling his desires and emotions before he would actually commit the murder. And this is an unfortunate um, end, near end to the story. And just like Nathan and Pastor Dave have shared last few weeks, Old Testament stories are often humans to learn from and not always heroes to emulate. But nevertheless, through this whole story, we see God's merciful and kind character. And that's something that's always stood out to me, even through the, the temptation and the sin and the killing, God's character and kindness in the story always stands out to me. And I think we can be encouraged by this as I bring to me, the, this message to a close. On two separate occasions, God asks Cain questions. On the one hand, in verse 6, he says, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Then in verse 9, Where is your brother Abel? It's interesting, on the one hand, that God, knowing full well that Cain had brought an unworthy sacrifice from the get-go, God did not ignore Cain when he was angry, when Cain became angry at his own failing, but God actually attempted to dialogue with him and hear from him. In fact, God already knows, knows why Cain is angry and dejected, yet he still asks the question. He did the very same thing in the chapter before with Adam and Eve, when he asked Adam and Eve what they had done. God already knew the answer. Here he also asks Cain where his brother was. So clearly God is not really looking for an answer since he already knows it. Instead, he is looking for dialogue, or in other words, connection and relationship with them. And so whether we are in the midst of temptation or we have already sinned, God is always seeking us out to be in relationship with us. God is not deserting us. God never ceases to pursue and seek after us, even when we're in the middle of being, in our own eyes, the most disappointing of people. It is in those very moments that he seeks after us the most, since he doesn't want to leave us in that place, and he understands the, he understands the pain of being in those, in those situations. Isn't that amazing? Just when I think God wants nothing to do with me because I've sinned or I'm struggling with sin, God is fighting his hardest to protect me and rescue me from that sin. In asking the first question to Cain, even though Cain gives no answer, God desires still to help him make the right decision. He says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It, it's desire, it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Cain gives no answer, but God is still there with him, pursuing that. Cain's response later is very telling. In both instances, just like Adam and Eve hiding in the garden when God called them, Cain wanted, to do, wanted nothing to do with God and his presence. On the one hand, he answered nothing, and on the other hand, he lied and he mocked. And so whereas God is actively seeking to connect with him, sin is actively seeking to make him hide, to make Adam and Eve hide, 
to make Cain ignore God or dismiss God's presence. Whereas life and healing comes from being with God in his presence, death is a direct result of desertion from God. And so anything that causes separation between us and God only comes from sin. Anything that causes separation between us and God comes from sin. Because God never stops seeking after us. He never stops chasing after us. And yet, as we keep going in the story, God is even still more merciful towards Cain. After he causes, after he sins, after he kills his brother, Cain expects, and implicitly he asks that someone kill him because of what he has done. But instead, God shows his kindness by putting a sign of protection on him in order to preserve his life. When we read in verse 15, what the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. God stops the sin cycle right then and there. One murder would have led to another murder to another murder and so on and so forth. God, even though Cain is undeserving and doesn't even ask for it, he receives a lifetime protection from anyone willing to kill him for what he did to his brother. Cain is undeserving, not asking for it, yet God gives it. And so all I can say is thanks be to God because because of Jesus, we are in a new age and have entered a new covenant where Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has completely broken the power that sin used to hold in our lives and has given us power himself thanks to his Holy Spirit that lives within us. Although the reality of sin and temptation is real and will continue to be real until we finally see him face to face, we have the assurance that we are not alone in this fight. We have an even greater reality, the reality that God is with us, that his spirit empowers us, not only with us, but it empowers us. Just as God remained by Cain through his struggle, temptation, and sin, we have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, never, never letting us go, no matter how hard the battle gets. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament is Romans 6.11 that says, to count or consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. No matter how hard or discouraging your experience was this past week, or how much you fear your experience will be this upcoming week and the weeks to come. Do not let this hide the greater reality that you have in being a child of God, saved once and for all, for eternity. Beyond what you see, beyond what you experience, count yourselves as dead to sin. Count yourselves, consider yourselves as dead to sin because you are as a child of God. That is God's promise. That is the reality by which we live. And God is right there with you to carry you through whatever trial or temptation you are going through. Do not be dis discouraged by your struggle. The struggle is actually evidence of our freedom. Because if we're slaves to sin, then we, we're not struggling against sin. But if we're free, there will be a struggle. Because we understand that in this life right now, we have not been fully um, glorified as God promises in the future. And so do not be discouraged, but be encouraged that the struggle is evidence that the Holy Spirit is fighting for you. 
God is fighting with you. And so take courage. You have no reason to hide, like Adam and Eve. You have no reason to escape, to try and escape God's presence, like Cain. God's presence is what we have, and God's presence is what we need. There are no, do not hide. God is pursuing, God is reaching out to each and every single one of us. And so, if you do not have a relationship with God, also, and are tired of fighting this fight, that causes you so much pain against yourself and against others, this invitation is always there. And you will never regret it. I have not met one Christian in my whole life that's regretted being a Christian. And so that is my invitation to all of us this morning. I'm going to pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Lord, you pursue after us. You never stop. You never stop chasing us. God, you first loved us. Lord, we were undeserving. We are still undeserving, but yet you love us. Jesus, the reality that you've brought us into, Father, is that you no longer look at our sin, Father. You have saved us, made us new, cleansed us white as snow. God, but yet we know and understand that, Lord, our battle every day is a real one, God, and we do not want to minimize it one bit, Jesus. But the greater reality is that we have been saved. Father, that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, Lord. And so whatever, whatever anyone might have been going through this past week, whatever we're going to go through this week, Father, may we take courage and be encouraged by, by you. Lord, you are with us. Whether we struggle, whether we fail, you're still there with us. No matter what sin and the enemy might try to, God, convince us of, Lord, they are all lies. And we hold fast to your word that is true. God. So thank you again. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.